This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Emily Thompson from Wellington, Florida. You are listening to a special jumping edition of Horses in the Morning on Horse Radio Network for July 4th, episode 1731. Brought to you today by Essequestrian. Good morning, Horse World. Oh my God. It's Tuesday. It's top class show jumping uh, at the very best. Every horse is different, and you've got to be able to understand and read each different horse. Remember, we're looking for those clears in this round to go forward to the jump off. You can't ask for anything more. It's just pure theatre. Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th there, Emily. Yeah, happy 4th. Happy 4th. Get fireworks. I'm so excited because Emily hasn't been here the last couple months, and everybody thought I fired you, but I didn't. Uh, (laughs) No, that would never happen. No, we're too good of friends. And besides, I love just having hanging out with you on the show. It's the only time I get to talk to you every month anymore. I know, I know. I missed you two months. I did get to see you, I guess. uh, Yeah, we got to have a very romantic dinner together. I know. It was. It was right by the water. It was so nice. It was. it was so nice. It that was, was nice. so funny. Yeah, we did. It was nice. I didn't want to leave. I told Jennifer about the romantic dinner we had together by the water, I mean, and it was had lovely. pictures. Yeah. Pictures <laughs> prove that they were on Facebook. That's right. <laughs> I thought about you, actually, as we were on our cruise, because Jennifer, as you saw, got the, uh, got the braid job. Well, I know that was so funny, was <laughs> and I awesome. thought about you because last time I saw you, you had the you had the braided look. So, oh yeah, yeah, they're still there. Are they not going anywhere? Yours lasted oh, yeah. longer than Jennifer's. <laughs> oh yeah, well There's, they're not braids; they're dreads. Yeah, you got dreads. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I didn't see Jennifer them. doing the dreads thing. <laughs> no, no, it's more of a permanent decision <laughs> until you want the buzz cut. You look so cute, though. I love them. I like the braids too. Those are awesome. It's so funny that she did it. It hurts though, right? Did she oh yeah, that's her? why she took them out. <laughs> yeah, she said they started to get itchy after about three days, and I thought she yeah. looked sexy. I, I liked. Them. I thought they were cute. It was awesome. Well, okay. Emily hasn't been here for a reason. We'll kind of explain that a little bit here. So, so what happened? Oh my God! Well, first you were on a cruise, so I can't be blamed for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> But then I did, I missed last month because, or the two months, whatever it was, because, um, yeah, I had a riding accident, uh, ended up with a very bad concussion, could have been a lot worse. Um, but I was coming through a gymnastic on one of the young horses teaching to jump. The horse was gone super. It was the very last time through, um, he'd already done it like 30 times. I don't understand, (laughs) but he came through, he make mistake. He put an extra foot down and crashed through the oxer. Um, I did not fall off, and I normally don't fall off, um, which is good or bad. This time it was bad. He went down and then got up, but when he was getting up, he headbutted me twice in the head. I got hit in the jaw and broke a tooth, and then in the side of my uh, temple and cracked my helmet. 
Um, also a rib. That was Ugh. also exciting. You broke a rib uh, with a yeah. coming up like that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I went for The problem is that he's not a very big horse, and he pulled me forward. And so I was just in a bad spot. I was, and his well, neck he is He must have up. really whacked you. Yeah, yeah, totally, twice. And it wasn't even his fault. I didn't black out, but the problem is, is also as I've had um, quite a few concussions uh, when I was younger. So it's like cumulative. And when I was a kid, I mean, I'm right on the line. Like they didn't make safety helmets uh, priority. Yeah, they were tin uh, cans back then. Yeah, like yeah. literally I wore like a felt cap, exactly. you know. I, I mean, looking back, I'm like, good Lord. I mean, who come on, like everybody knows that it's dangerous. You know, I mean, we should have been, it should have been mandatory for the juniors. I was so mad too when they made it mandatory because they looked so bad. They were big egghead helmets and I was like on strike. I was like, I'm not going <laughs> to ride in these at the show. I was like, not going to do it. So ridiculous now looking back. Um, but yeah, no, I had a safety helmet on. I always wear my helmet. That Everyone's so surprised. Oh my God, what happened? Because they know I always wear my helmet. But it was just one of those freak things. And before I, 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 everybody knows I'm crazy. I mean, I, I just keep going. So I did actually finish my school. The horse jumped great. Of course you did. Um, I had a horse trial. I had Todd, uh, Todd Minicus flew in the next day to try my top horse. Um, and I had to jump it for him. And I was like, dude, I like have a concussion like bad. I'm pretty sure I hadn't been to the doctor yet. I got to see the horse jump anyway. I'm like, oh no. So I jumped around that made it worse. And then by like that night, I was like, I I, I had ice packs polo wrapped on my head trying to like finish up at the barn. Um, and it was unsuccessful. I ended up in the ER and couldn't remember stuff. I, I made it worse. Yeah, I think if I had gone in the beginning, like it would have they would have like kept me under control, but because I just decided to just like keep going like a crazy person. Okay, just, so uh, let me review. A horse girl made it worse before going to the doctor. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Is there anything new there? No, oh my god. Really. Yeah. No, I, I'm not going to the doctor unless I know I definitely need to go to the doctor. Yeah, so, I haven't like, heard that before. Oh Jennifer, lord, they right. said that. Oh yeah, at the at the ER because it's in Wellington. They get all the horse people. They're like, "You people, you just won't stop." <laughs> like I know, I don't know what the problem is. I mean, I want to stop because it's a know. mental illness, Emily. It's a mental illness. In your illness. case, it turned. Now it really is a mental illness. Now it's a, yeah, a traumatic <laughs> brain injury, mental illness. But I, that's basically the story of my life right now because I um. Well, you sound was better bad, than but... when we talked when this first happened because oh, basically God, yeah. we'd be in the middle of a sentence and you wouldn't remember who you were talking to. So. Oh, yeah, I we, was forgetting everything. We at crazy. least have gotten through 15 minutes here. What's my name, Emily? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Adam. between you and I, me with my neurological Lyme disease and you with your head injury, we have one brain oh between the two of us. I think we oh, might get through this show. <laughs> Let's hope. Let's hope. Jeez. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing a little better because you were pretty being banged up there. It was bad, yeah. But it's probably like how uh, what you deal with, too, is because then you start feeling better. And then if you do kind of too much, then you backtrack a little bit. The worst part for me is if I'm, <clears throat> it can come on pretty quickly. So if I drive somewhere, if I drive to town or go somewhere and it comes on, then it's very hard to drive home. So oh, yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's when it gets a little dangerous. I probably shouldn't be driving home uh, yeah. because it, you get fuzzy kind of like you did or, you get or tired. yeah, like when I, in the beginning of it, I didn't remember how to get home. I mean, that was, that's what happened to me. Yeah. I was getting lost around town. I'm like, i not a doctor, but I think I shouldn't be driving. Yeah, that's probably that's probably a <laughs> just now that we've drawn the line. I'm going to go to the hospital. 
now that I'm I don't know where the hospital is, I'm going to try and find it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I literally did. Actually, this is funny and not funny all at once, but I had to drive myself because I couldn't get anyone to take me. And I was like sick. I started throwing up at work and everything. It was like bad. And I couldn't, I get there and then I couldn't like remember where the entrance was to the ER. So I went in the main entrance and I told them I needed to get to the ER, but I don't know if I didn't represent my situation correctly, but they gave me a visitor pass and took my photo, <laughs> and then I like wandered through the whole hospital <laughs> to find the ER that I now had a visitor pass to visit. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, this is I'm not even communicating my situation correctly." <laughs> you need to move to Ocala so we can take care of you, Emily. I know, really. When that horse complex opens, I'm there. I can't wait. Oh, speaking of the new horse, but that's why Emily wasn't here. Uh, so we, we, it's a good excuse. We'll, we'll let it's you have that excuse. one. Yeah. We I'm have on a full show planned today, though. We have a couple of great guests coming up. We have Sarah Watson coming up, who is a USHJA certified trainer. And then also somebody who buys and sells, uh, a friend of yours, who is uh, Katha Gatto. And she's going to come on and tell us what it's like to buy and sell from overseas and what the prices are these days. So I know some of you are asking about that. In addition, Emily will answer a bunch of your questions coming up later in the show. All right, let's go to our first. <laughs> guest why don't you introduce sarah okay we have miss sarah watson a ushja certified trainer based in colorado specializing in hunter development hi sarah welcome to the show hello thank you so glad you could make it i know we have a little bit of a time difference what yeah. is it out there in old <laughs> two colorado hours. two hours two hour time difference <laughs> all right all right two hours earlier. Well, yeah, tell me about your showing. We were speaking earlier that you had got two solid weeks of showing just straight. Yeah, I was over at Summer in the Rockies at the Colorado Horse Park for the last few weeks. Um, had a green hunter and then some adult equitation riders, and everyone was great. Just uh, typical Colorado weather. It was 95 degrees for three of the days, and then it monsooned and was 45 degrees. And oh, my God, really? really fun element to the horse's behavior <laughs> wow yeah. i didn't realize it so yeah. i did show out there a few times uh when i had my business in dallas i don't remember it swinging that hard i guess it did because we'd be in jackets sometimes yeah but th this time of year you know like early summer like it could you know rain and be 40 degrees or it's 100 million degrees and the sun just bakes you <laughs> do you keep your horses clipped and blanket at that or do you what how do you manage them um, yeah, I mean, they're clipped, ready for the shows, and then we just have to put on blankets at night. Wow. Do you use when lights the, or anything? When the temperatures drop so low. What was that? Do you use lights or anything, keeping their coat down? No. No. I do have one horse. He's on the quarter horse circuit, so he used to live on lights, but we just, it's actually too much work. It is too much work. I'm <laughs> I'd rather interested. just put a blanket on. Cause you got, you do primarily hunters, um, you know, yeah. I'm primarily jumpers. So I'm always interested in talking to the hunter trainers. Like what, what is your program? Like, what all are you doing? Because they, there, it's just so much more involved on that management side. I mean, I'll get them in like, cause I don't even clip my horse's ears or whiskers or anything. And, uh, that's a no go. I think in the hunter ring, they don't like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally am pretty anal about it. I don't like when the horses have long whiskers. <laughs> I know there's like a new, you know, conversation that goes around the horse world of whether or not you should clip the whiskers. But, you know, we've been doing it for so long. I can't imagine why we wouldn't 
I know. I don't think you're going to get the hunter community to budge on that. I mean, I just, it seems, it seems not possible. It's a cleaner look and it just really shows the horse looks a little bit more put together and turned out well, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's the the deal. I try not to clip my horses unless I have to. My barn is heated, um, pretty warm in the winter. So I actually have to body clip my horses because the barn (laughs) stays so warm that they would get too hot if they had full coats. So all of mine get body clipped. And then when we have these temperature swings in May and June, I just have to make sure I'm on top of the forecast and keep blankets on hand. Because they have to be so quiet. And you being specializing in the hunter development, I thought it would be really fun to go through some different exercises with the young horses and the coming from the jumper ring, kind of converting into hunter. But first I do know that you got your USHJA trainer certification. What can you tell us about that? Like, how did you do that? What, like, I don't even know. Um, I know that they've been really pushing it. It's been getting more popular, but how did that come about and how'd you do it? Um, Rita Timpanaro was coming out to Colorado to give one of the clinics for the trainer certification program. Um, and so I decided to jump on the bandwagon while I had the opportunity in state without having to travel out of state. Um, you can do a course online or you can go to a two day clinic with a certified trainer like Rita. Um, I think Jeff Teal does one also. Um, there's a few other that come out and around the country. Um, and it's two days and you sit there and you watch like I watched Rita give a clinic for two days. I actually rode in it the first day. I was the only trainer who rode um and everyone else was just sort of sitting on the sidelines and you're watching and Rita would ask us you know like what did you see in that rider's course what would you score them and why and then we would discuss all of that additionally you had to take a course online a short course online um about safety and conduct then I had to take a pretty extensive exam online and so I had proof of insurance all of those things put together it was a pretty long process and a lot of steps but really found it to be worthwhile um and then yeah I got certified officially like a month or two ago congratulations that's really cool that more people need to do it um they so do they have like a big section on horse management or is it mainly on um training a lot, a lot of training, a lot of coaching, a lot of safety. Okay. Uh, there is some, there was some information on horse care, more about feeding, um, and equipment use rather than, you know, weight management and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, mostly about, about training. Okay. So you think, is it like definitely something, uh, that most professionals do you think the younger professionals should look into doing? I think it's a really good opportunity to, to deep dig a little bit deeper into everyone's education. You know, I studied equine science in college. So a lot of the stuff that was covered in the course in the online portion, I was sort of digging back into my college education and going, Oh yeah, I remember learning about this stuff. Um, It really brings things back down to the basics that I think sometimes can get missed. So it was really nice to have a refresher on those aspects of, you know, being a horse trainer. 
Yeah, seriously. I, I love the idea. I mean, I think it's totally needed and just have a people a little bit more on the same page. Honestly, I mean, there's a lot of obviously different yeah. ideas and you've got hunters and jumpers and equitation. Yeah, it's going to change a bit in between. But if we can just have like a base, you know, where everybody is getting the same information, Absolutely. you know, and like the stuff, the stuff that we talked about in the clinic with Rita in the stuff that was on the online course, it definitely crosses through all sorts of disciplines. Yeah. Um, not just the hunt, the hunter world or the equitation world or the jumper world. Uh, it, it so, really went right across the board. Just really good basis for everyone to have a similar standard and then to take yeah. that in stone. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. So, so basically uh, somebody needs, if they, if they're interested in taking the course, look for the clinics, right. That are coming to their. Yeah. And you can do it online and you, but the, I think it personally, it was, it was more beneficial for me to go and spend two days and having a conversation with someone about it rather than just taking the full online course for it. Yeah, like, totally. I, I like if you could be interactive like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. great. And that's I think cool. there's a lot of clinics happening more and more around the country now. That's great. Well, I, more people need to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into it too. So congratulations on that. That's awesome. Thank you. So, Miss uh, Hunter Trainer, spectacular. I know you've got all those hunters going. <laughs> Babies, I see your little posts. First time in the hunter <laughs> ring, winning the blue ribbon and all of this. I mean, you've got to let us know some exercises. How are you getting these guys in the ring so quiet? Because I know also you better than a lot of people do, but I know you're not out there medicating and, and you know, killing these horses. So you're doing it through horses. Yeah. You know, I even try not to lunge unless I have to. Um, I'm pretty fortunate that in my program, my facility, I have 166 acres and a lot of trails. So for me in the summertime, I like to use the downtime from the shows with the horses and go out on the trail. Um, because I really find that it helps their fitness to go up and down the hills and to go ride in the fields and just ride on different footing. Additionally, like, you know, we have like alpacas and llamas that border our fence line. Oh, no. (laughs) It's nice for the horses to go see those things and not have them be terrified by them. Or if they are, work through it so that when we go to the horse show and something scary pops up, it's not a big deal. You know, the hunters need to be quiet and they need to not care about a golf cart or a trailer or a dog or whatever walking through the showgrounds. So... I do a lot of trail riding just to get their brains in a good place. And so they're not just constantly going in circles in the arena. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also find turnout to be huge. You know, I have great turnout. Um, My horses go outside all day in fields and they get to be horses. And I think that also helps with the brain and helps them be able to work and have a good work ethic because in their downtime, they just get to go be a horse. (laughs) And do you find that when you get horses, I know you do uh, young horses and also client horses, you know, pretty, pretty much yeah. everything. Do you see with the older horses coming into your program that they are lacking that? Do you find that they are spooky out on the trail or maybe they haven't been getting that? Yes. Um, my spookiest trail horse is a really well-shown 18-year-old warm bun. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the maladjusted and show horse, my old, favorite. <laughs> yeah, like, he's won all over the country. He's, you know, done everything, and I don't take him trail riding. <laughs> I got one <laughs> like, like that, too, that's nope, 16. Yeah. You get to go in circles. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no one's <laughs> trying to die over it. Stuff. 
Yeah. You know, and then I'll take out my six year old baby and, you know, I could put a clapping monkey on him and let him go walk up the hill past the alpaca and he doesn't care anymore. Wow. Yeah. I just see you've got a lot of those young ones and I'm always interested in how you're, how you're getting them consistently in the ring and quiet. They do look quiet. I mean, you've got loops in the reins, you know, at that yeah. age, but you can't, yeah, you can get that. Like some of these bad trainers are getting it through the medication, but it can so be done just through proper, um, kind of acclimation to all of the, the things that are happening at the horseshoe, the golf carts, just all of that. There's so much to look at. Yeah. You know, consistency is the biggest thing, I think, um, having a consistent program and, you know, I, I'm a pretty firm believer of not drilling a horse. So when I'm working with the young ones, if I'm asking for something specific, whether it's on the ground or I'm on their back, once I get it, we're got, we're done. Yeah. It was a 15 minute ride because they, I want them to know, okay, that's what I was going for. Good job. Now you're, now you're done. Um, and so I really try not to overwork, but consistently work and keep the stress level pretty low. And that seems to be successful for me. Um, you know, that combined with having good turnout and then I get to the horse show and I hack the horses first thing in the morning and I see what I've got. And then I decide, okay, maybe this one does need a lunge. Um, but I really try to get on first and assess energy before I just stick them on the one line or, you know, give them so perfect once prep or something you've like got that. them, you know, uh, sort of situated on the trail, they're relaxed. They're not spooking so much, you know, the stress level is down. Then, then what do you do when you're gearing up to get the horses either show ready or just client ready for lessons? Are you jumping? Uh, what kind of, yeah, exercise? so sometimes I'll, I'll start out on the trail. Um, and we'll just go for, you know, a short trail ride just to get the brain clear and the stress level low. And then I'll come back from the trail ride. And if it was successful and pretty down to earth and low, then I'll just go into the outdoor and just start jumping around. We are, we're pretty fortunate at my place. We, um, the barn owner is a course designer. So she sets a course once a month outside with all really nice show jumps. Wow. So my horses get the opportunity to see a lot of fill and a lot of different types of jumps at home so that they're not seeing that for the first time when we walk into the show ring right? at the horse shows. So you do yeah, it's pretty mainly with those horses um, coursework then? Yes, I do do oh. mostly coursework. A lot of time I do mostly flat work. I don't jump my horses a ton. We do a ton of flat work, a lot of 20-meter circles, um, lots of leg yielding and half halting and transitions and just really getting that flat work established. So then we can go in and I'll start jumping, you know, my three foot horses, I, we jump two foot six at home on a regular basis. And when we're getting ready for the show, then we'll put the jumps up. Uh, you know, I find if we can get around at two, six, I'm sure we can get around at three foot. If we can right. get around at two, six quietly. We're going to be successful at three foot. Okay. Um, so then you save the, whatever the horses are peaking at for their height. They do that basically at the show. Yes. 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 I mean, obviously I try to the week before we, we really get hammering in and I do some show practice and we'll jump around the full course and, and put the jumps up and really get ready. But again, once, once I've gone around once, if that was great, then once is all I needed. We don't need then, to do it three times just because it was good. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I totally, I short and sweet. And they get, they need to know, you know, you, you've got some challenging 
parts of the school always with the young ones. But then, yeah, when they do it, it's done. I remember when I was in Germany, they said that the, uh, that the, all the horses age, they basically have two minutes for whatever age they are of like real concentration and good work. So like, it's not looking good. (laughs) I got a five-year-old, you got like 10 minutes. Um, and then there's all the, (laughs) the gear up, the flatting and the warming up to like get that 10 minutes. But like, then that's, it's done, you know, it's not 20 or 30, but I'm, I'm the same way. I, I, I I think we train actually very, very similar. Just the difference for the jumpers for mine. I don't like them to, uh, do so much of the courses, you know, so that, cause we do want them a little surprised and jump up high, but yeah, I I like when a horse has a little bit of a peak in them, you know, I'm like, Oh, you're interested. Great. That means you're going to jump well. (laughs) <laughs> Jump off. That's nice to hear that you're not that you because you are successful. You have uh, a lot of uh, horses competitively out there. Uh, you all can check her out online at SwatsonEquestrian.com, um, so you can see. But I like that you are doing it that way with a proper training program. They're conditioning them. You're outside. You know, they're they're horses. They're being horses, and then you're not drilling and drilling and drilling. Which you really see that, unfortunately, more so I think in the hunter ring because they can or the equitation. Yeah. You know, the jumpers. You're going to start tearing the jumps down. You know, if you do too many, you know, too much. Exactly. But it's, you know, when it, when the line at the lunging ring is 20 minutes long, I'm usually like, uh, yeah, I'll just go flat some more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's very encouraging though. It's refreshing to hear because you are out there winning ribbons. You got young horses, uh, amateurs, equitation as well. And you're not doing it that way. It doesn't need to be done that way. They they can be ridden and trained like all around horses. It, that's awesome. You have yeah. that opportunity out in your, um, out at your farm with all those trails and a course designer. I should move out there. I have to set my own course. It's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Come on out. I know. I know. I want to come out and show there. Do you do a lot of showing there at the, at the park? Yeah, I really like the Colorado horse park. And, you know, since it's been bought by Mark Bellissimo, it's really had some great improvements and it's just really becoming a a great place. And we all, you know, it's all we have out here in Colorado is that facility. So to have someone that's putting the time and money into making it be as great as it can be is really good for the industry out here. You know, otherwise we have to travel to Texas or California or down to Santa Fe and that's a a nice, (laughs) no, it's too far. That's, that's a great place. Well, you guys check her out online. It's watsonequestrian.com. And thank you, Sarah, for checking in and sharing your exercises. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So I haven't heard lately because we haven't had a chance to talk. What's going on with S Equestrian, your, your company? As Equestrian is trucking along. It's actually doing quite well. Um, I guess we're going into our, going to be our eighth year. This is our eighth wow. year, I think. It's crazy. It really, uh, it's really nuts. We've been doing it for so long, but uh, it's it's been going really, really well. You know, I started the company up in New York, uh, manufacture out of Manhattan. Everything is made in the U.S. It's all top of the line athletic fabric always has been all the fittings and trimmings and everything is top. Um, so it's not super cheap. It's, it's, uh, you know, I do it for the best price that we can. Uh, you can check it out online at sequestrianco.com to see all of that. But we have quite a few new styles that have come out. The jackets have been going really well. They're made to order jackets. We actually launched a few new colors. People have been really, really seriously hounding me for this green, this hunter green, you know, everybody likes, um, old school, it's making a comeback. So we put one out, 
Uh, so that's available. People are liking that. And then re- what's really cool, if you're familiar with the shirts at all, you know, we do a custom program as well. We'd make all the college show shirts for the IHSA, the IEA as well. Um, so the teams can put their uh, lo- college logo on the inside of the liner. Uh, we also do farm uh, shirts as well with the logo. But what's really cool now that we've been able to work in our production, that we've brought the minimums down so like regular people can order the custom for themselves as well. So you only need to order five pieces to get your custom logo on the inside of the collar and embroidery, which is oh, pretty cool. sweet deal. I know that the, the, <clears throat> the minimums were what kept people from doing it, a lot of the smaller totally. brands, I think, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and originally I couldn't even get it down to like 25 because my minimums are high up over a hundred. So I'm like, I really wanted to make it possible for people. Like that was the dream to like cool clothes. Like, come on, like it should be interesting. I feel like everybody, well, you know me, like all of my, my gear is like crazy colors and everything. But I mean, like that's the whole point. Like if you're going to wear the same stuff every day, like it should be interesting. It should be like cute, you know, stylish, whatever. So that was what I really wanted to do. It's been so challenging to get it accessible like that, but it is now. You can you can order online at sequestrianco.com. You can check it out on Facebook, Sequestrian, or there's the Sequestrian for IHSA, um, and you can see what shirts we've done. But yeah, the, the five-piece minimum, that that is going to be awesome. We could get Horse Radio Network shirts made. Yeah, I love that logo. That would look really cool. And it's all like really... Um, screen printed well so it's crisp like on the inside liner of your collar like it's not going to bleed or anything so when you have those more intricate logos they look really sharp very cool and where can they find it again uh eceequestrianco.com or uh facebook as equestrian very good next guest Okay, our next guest is Miss Kathy Gatto, a successful importer of amateur-friendly horses for the American market, based in Saugerties, New York. Hey, Katha, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad you could make it. I miss seeing you up there in New York. Katha's based out of Saugerties, New York, my, my old home. <laughs> it's a good place to be. you got to come back. I know, I know you all are showing a lot up there, huh? Are you in the middle of a circuit or gearing up for a circuit or? Yeah, actually, luckily right now we're in a little bit of a break. Um, so the Socrates shows, we do three weeks, the last week of May into the first two weeks of June. And then we actually have a, a five week break. Um, and then we start back up the third week of July. Um, so I'm on a little bit of a break right now. I think actually we're lucky because there's so many shows in the area. Lake Placid's about to start. This That's right. Um, Lake Placid. We just got off Fairfield and Oxford. I actually am thinking about jetting down um, to Princeton. He's doing, he did a weekend show last weekend and he's doing a weekend show this coming weekend. I the love those. Second. Those are yeah, so nice. Well, he actually nice. ended up canceling the main week because not enough people signed up. He was going to oh. do two full weeks, but now he's doing a Saturday, Sunday show. So I'm going to jet well, down whatever. there. The some facility's of the other awesome. Yeah, I know. It's beautiful. So, and then, uh, yeah, we start back up at, at HIPS um, the third week of July. And then that goes okay. from three weeks and then a two-week break and then uh, the end of August into the million week in, wow. in September. Yeah. Rolling on. <laughs> so that's cool. I so you, what I thought was, I mean, I've known you for, for ages and um, always a great rider. 
Um, and then now recently you've gotten into this really business wise professionally. I just thought it would be really cool to hear about your business sort of model, how you have been successful here building, uh, importing, building, training these amateur friendly sort of entry level, good, solid show horses, which not everybody's doing. I mean, you can buy them, but you're, I mean, you can buy them in this country, but you're actually importing them, training them and have made a a proper business out of it. Yeah. So, um, you know, like you said, uh, I have been riding for a long time. Uh, I actually luckily learned how to learn, but did my formative, uh, junior years and into my first amateur year riding with Miss Emily. Um, oh. so I had some really good training uh, as an amateur as a junior. Amateur. That was so much fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was always fun, which is good. Honestly, actually a little bit kind of the model behind my business. Um, so <laughs> I rode for a long fun. time as an amateur. Um, and I know how, what, like, you know, how stressful it is to kind of face the horse world because it always seems a little bit daunting and, like this big scary world where there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that, you know, we don't really know about. Like a lot of times most amateurs kind of show up to the barn and it's like, all right, this is your horse. It's ready to go. We're going to the show. This is how we're doing it. Um, and there's not a lot of understanding and kind of like how to match people and also why the horses are being chosen for you and all of that. And so I kind of learned about it a, with the idea of, you know, every amateur deserves to be doing this to have fun, especially an adult amateur. When I came, so I took a bit of riding time off. I, I did proper schooling and had a normal person job and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually majored, <laughs> I got a uh, master's in global management. Um, and I studied abroad in Belgium for two years. So that's kind of how the importing aspect of it came about and the, uh, the business management, that type of thing. But the v- real drive behind it was that uh, I wanted amateurs to have horses they could have fun on because there's nothing worse in the world when you're an amateur and you feel like you're out of your own league or you know whether you're on you're overhorsed or your horse is you know not doing what he's supposed to do and, and you just feel uncomfortable and it's not fun anymore and as an adult amateur you know and even as a junior the goal is if you're not a professional you're doing it hopefully to have fun um you know and that's kind of what got me back into it. And so I want to have, you fun know, make too. a long three short. Yeah, exactly. I'm not giving it up. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the whole point, right? We, we chose to thousand pound mammals over painted sticks. So yeah, you gotta be on. a little bit of levity to that. Yeah. Um, so, so I started my business. Um, like I said, I, I had an online person job and one day kind of woke up and decided that I really, didn't want to do that. I wanted to take all of the knowledge and schooling that I had had amassed over the years and apply it to something that I really felt passionate about, which was horses. Um, I did not at that time feel like I had the credentials or the capability to open up a training business. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something. And, and honestly, I really feel pa- passionately about these horses in Europe that I had the ability to ride and work with when I was studying abroad. So when I studied abroad, um, actually it's again, another Emily story. Um, I had a mare when I was a junior, her name was Desh and she was a chestnut mare, the most quintessential one. Um, Ooh, but she was really, she was yeah, she was really fantastic in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, and we decided to breed her 
Uh, and I actually ended up getting in touch with the breeder in Belgium when we went, when we decided to breed her to get a little bit of insight on what her plants were like, et cetera, et cetera, so we could choose the right Belgian, right stallion. Right from there. Okay. Um, so after connecting with the breeder in Belgium um, and learning a bit more about her, I kept that connection um, all throughout when I was studying abroad. And I actually ended up meeting up with him uh, when I was there. And then once I decided to start my business, I reached out to him and I pretty much said, you know, I wasn't really sure what direction I was going to go when I decided I was going to start it. But I said, I wanted to start this business. I'd like to come over and try some horses. Uh, I'm looking to buy a few investment horses. Uh, and I wasn't sure if you'd want to be any partners with me at all. And so he said, why don't you just come over here? We'll try some horses and go from there. So he had this horse that I tried that was unbelievable. It was seven years old, jumping meter 40. It was such a rock star. And I literally couldn't ride the left side of it. Um, I, I went there with the intention of actually purchasing half of that horse to be partners with him. Um, you know, and I had a bunch of ideas. Maybe I would have somebody ride it or, or something like that. But it was such a horrible feeling going there and getting on this horse and not being able to ride it. I mean, I, I literally, like, I, I could barely get it to go straight. It was just so advanced and technical, and I felt so out of my league. And it was really disappointing. Um, and so that ended up not panning out. But when I was there, we tried a few other horses. Um, I tried one actually for my mother. Uh, which ended up being my first horse that I bought. Um, he was an incredible equitation horse. He was just so lovely. Um, he was six years old. He'd been doing 110s. And he was a little bit normal. He's really beautiful to look at, but just a nice, easy, simple horse. Um, doesn't crack his knees over the top. Doesn't do anything that anybody would say, wow, oh my God. But he's a truly lovely animal to ride and a lovely animal to watch. Um, and that kind of, he became a little bit of the mold of what I wanted to buy. Um, you know, my first year, I had a few that, okay, I bought them because they had an unbelievable front end technique, but then they ended up being a little bit hard to ride or something like that. So I kind of worked through the kinks um, in the first few imports and, and really realized that my niche uh, was finding horses that could cart around people from two foot six to three foot six. Um, you know, and that was, was kind of what I went with, especially because those were the horses that I felt comfortable riding. I, then I was an amateur. I, I became professional because of the USEF rules, et cetera, with, with selling horses. I needed to be a professional, especially because I sometimes will sell other people's horses or, or take horses on consignment. So, um, that kind of was what started that, but as an amateur, I really, went and chose horses that I felt comfortable and safe and confident on. Um, you know, they weren't the best of, of whatever they needed to be, but they were good horses. Um, and so that's kind of how it started. Um, I also then kind of expanded off of that uh, to buy some young horses, do a bit of breeding. Um, and again, my young horses, I picked for the same exact reason, all about the brain, all about the brain and the feeling. Um, so, so that's, you know, kind of how it started. Um, and it's just grown from there. I, uh, last year I imported 17 horses. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And then, um, actually in January is when, well, not, no, in November, 
um, is when I got my first order to go over and find a horse for somebody and sell it to them off the video, which, uh, like Emily and I discussed a little bit before, was a little bit daunting. Um, it was actually for a dressage rider, uh, which I am not a dressage rider, but I, <laughs> I, it was for a mother of a cl- good client of mine. And I, I went and, and found the horse and got all the different videos and all of that, and they ended up buying it and absolutely loving it. Um, and then in January, I went over and found two more horses for two of his clients and again, bought them off the video, shipped them here for the clients. And one of them, uh, I think his last week of hits was seventh in the USHJA National Derby. So just really good, wonderful quality horses that make their owners happy, which is all I really care about. So it was that- it's been good. <laughs> yeah, it's been really good. It's been fun to watch, you know, because I see you on Facebook all the time um, and all these different horses. It's been quite successful. I love the business model because you, you know, you're you're able, you know, you know what that amateur friendly horse is. We all do, but you you know how valuable valuable it is, and it's always so hard. I'm very guilty of this going horse shopping and buying the one that, you know, jumps out of its skin or kicks out behind mm-hmm. over the oxer and you're like, yeah. And then you find out like, <laughs> you know, that it also doesn't get a bath at the wash rack or like something else. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, exactly. They're too special. Yeah. They're a little bit complicated at times on things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the proof yeah, is bummed a lot of amateurs out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. <clears throat> well, and the proof is in the volume. I mean, 17, that is a lot. I didn't realize you imported that many. Yeah, well, so some of them I imported for myself because um, I um, I import them and then Americanize them and sell them. But I also, um, obviously, like I said, sell horses off the video and then sell some horses directly to clients because um, right. I've set up a little bit of a like a, a program, you could say. So I have some amazing partners in Europe that I work with. Um, I actually buy pretty much exclusively from Belgium and I work exclusively in Belgium just because of those connections. I think it's really crucial to work with people you trust. Um, and so I have two really amazing, uh, young guys who, um, I send my young horses to and they ride them and break them and do all of that and really set them up for success in America. Cause they understand, um, I actually have brought them here to America for them to ride horses that are, good amateur horses and see American horses and all of that. So they really understand what the goal is. Um, and then I also have a really great uh, partner who's a breeder who does a lot of the scouting with me and, and all of that. Uh, and then another top rider who um, kind of puts the finishing touches on the ones that are a little bit more ready along that type of thing. So, so, so nice when you buy them over there, are you like buying like really young and then leaving them there to do, that's what Bertrand does. You know, the guy I ride for Bertrand, mm-hmm. um, he buys them super young and then leaves them and then brings them like six, seven and eight over, or are you buying older ones as well? And just importing or. Um, well, I believe in diversifying my portfolio. So I have a, uh, I have a a mix. So last year I bought, um, some eight year olds, a seven year old, two, six year olds, um, and brought those over. Um, also I sold a 12 year old and 11 year old. So really a, a bunch of different ranges. I try not to limit myself for myself though. When I bring them over, I usually try and stay under 10 just because that seems to be an age where it's not too old 
for one that's just been imported. But I have sold right. some the twelve year olds off the video just because that's a that's a great age, you know. So that is a good age. Um, but then I also own uh, some younger horses. So I also have bought uh, yearlings, two year olds, three year olds, um, you know, for different reasons. Uh, for three and four year olds that I know have super brains, um, I bought those left them over there for a bit of training. Um, I actually just got my first four-year-old came over um, at the end of May. Um, you know, and then on top of that, because I like certain bloodlines, bought some young ones, I bought a three-year-old at an auction, um, that type of thing. So I definitely try and have different ages and types of horses and all that, because like you said, you know, I, I'm, I'm targeting this market, but there's not, there's no cookie cutter way, you know, so right. some like a certain type, but they all have the one commonality of having a super good brain. So you got to have the you know, brain. Kind of, all right. So yeah. I have a question. You said I Americanize them. What's that mean? Uh, so it depends on, like I said, the age. Um, so the younger horses, uh, you can start them, obviously, how we ride here in America. It's very different than how they ride in Europe. Um, I found a little bit, though, that certain, obviously, all the countries are different. Germans are a lot different than, than uh, people from... Holland than they do from Belgium. Um, but the biggest difference is just the way we ride. So they're far more uh, feet to hand, riding them from the back to front, uh, usually a lot, a lot more rhythm. And Emily can expand on this, but, you know, it's just a very different riding style. In America, especially amateurs, um, we ride a lot more off our hand. Uh, we like them a little bit less forward uh, lighter in the hand, riding more off the inside rein, not so much the leg steering with the outside rein. Um, you know, and so they kind of have to, it's, it's like them learning a different language. They speak a different language of AIDS. And, and when you bring them to America, you have to teach them what we're trying to tell them. You know what I mean? Because they know how to do it, but maybe I'm saying, how are you? And they are hearing hello. So it's just, it's a very different way that we we ride and train um and, and they have to figure that out to be successful here um you know because they might not be a bad horse but if you don't ask them properly and, and they can't answer the question you're asking then they won't be successful do they have so to listen you, to the english language tapes on the plane on the way over <laughs> they should <laughs> they definitely should um but you know we we have, i haven't i haven't got that for you i actually usually fly with my horses so next time um i will Bring some headphones. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What do you find for these market horses that you are bringing in and targeting, which is going to be your uh, probably already experienced amateur or I guess an entry level, somebody coming in if you're dealing in that age group, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 uh, year old horses. But what do you find are the most successful price brackets for marketing those horses? Um, I think that usually, so like my, my main age would be, let's say seven to 10, um, seven to 10 year old horse that's doing three foot, maybe three foot six. Um, those horses are usually going in America between 45 to 75. Um, I know it seems like a very broad range. Um, I would say majority of your horses are going above more like 55, 60 to 75. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're willing to get one that maybe needs a little bit of finishing or is seven and only has experience at three foot, um, 
I think you can, you know, definitely find horses in, the, in that bracket between 45, 55. It's definitely doable. Um, I sold a lot of horses in that price point last year. Um, you know, just because I think that a lot of horses, a lot of people, um, obviously are the hard part about selling horses is that it's completely subjective. So if you decide that your horse is worth a hundred thousand dollars, that's how you price it. And there's no model that we use as sales, uh, people or riders or trainers or brokers to do, you know, it's not like, okay, the horse jumps a three foot course with a lead change that starts at 50. And then if they're pretty, you add 10, you know what I mean? There's no <laughs> real system. It has three um, socks. So- Three socks and a yes, place. we should develop something like that. But, um, and so I definitely, because of the nature of my business, I try and be on the lower end of the spectrum and fair um, because I am selling to people that, you know, maybe they're not going to Devon. Maybe they're not going to West. Like they have, are going to have different goals or, or different, you know, and, and some of them do. I mean, I, I have had horses go to all of those places. It's not like, you know, I'm excluding that, but it's just, uh, I try and be at a price point that is, is affordable for most people. Our sport is an expensive sport, you know, and I definitely have clients that come to me with a budget of 30 and we find horses and we make it work, you know, but, uh, but I think the average import, um, you know, should be between, or people should plan between 40 and, and 55, you know, and then understand that if they want the whole package is only going to go up from there. If they want something right. that moves well or jumps well, et cetera, like that. So you're, so you Americanize them over there then, or you do that over here? I usually do it over here. Um, so I am bringing them over and then having them usually for a month or two and then selling okay. them. That's great. Yeah, I some mean, of them, it's really good business yeah. model. Some of them stick with me longer. <laughs> some yeah. of them leave me sooner. Um, you know, but it's also it's always a little bit of the perfect storm too. I had um, an amazing little mare that I imported last year, and literally she got tried the day she got out of quarantine, and she left the next day. Wow. Um, you know, and so that's all cool. And then I also had horses that stick with me for six, seven, eight, eight, nine months, and and I love them all the same, and, and happy they get to stay. But you know, it's it it takes a little bit of the perfect perfect situation sometimes for them, you know, and I also have um, some horses that I lease. So I still own four or five of the original ones, but they're on lease and, and I get to see them and all of that. So that's always a nice uh, situation as well. That's cool. Well, it's been fun to watch. Do you have a website, Kath, that people can see your horses or how can they? I do. Yeah. Uh, my, my business is Shadow Creek NY. Uh, so it's, shadowcreekny.com and I have a Facebook and a website and Instagram and all that good stuff. Nice. Well, you guys check it out. They're super horses. I've been watching. Kath is a great trainer. Nice, honest professional as well. Very refreshing. So good luck, girly. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Thanks for checking in. Thank you so much. Yes, please come come and visit soon. I will. I miss you all. All Talk to you soon, girl. Thank you. Bye. Well, Emily, are you up for a couple of questions or you want to call it a day? I don't know how mentally worn out we made you so far. <laughs> I you. mean, I am mentally worn out, but this is my favorite part. I love answering the questions. Okay. 
Well, we'll give a couple Ready. a try. We'll see how you're doing. Okay. All right. So, Elizabeth, or I don't know who wrote this one, actually. Uh, question for your next show. I have a very nice young jumper that recently moved up to 110. And do you have any exercises that tighten up the front end? Scope is not an issue, but I feel like he jumps so hard and is quite clever with his hind end that his front can't keep up with him at times. Mm, yeah, this is story of my life. Really, when you get these, yeah, I mean, that's the hard one because generally when you get them powerful like that with the scope and they've got a super hind end, that's what they do is, and they're young, they're green, they overpower behind, they push too hard. So possibly, I don't know this particular horse, but a lot of times those horses are traveling, uh, with more weight than you want on the front end going around, even on the flat, they're getting a little bit low. I don't mind them to be low on the flat, but when they need to jump obviously they need to to bring up the balance and put it more on the hind end um so your little flat work exercises are great with cavaletti you know landing and turning like that but when you get to the jump to the uh actual jumping meter 10 if you're on a scopey horse is not really all that big um but that's the challenge because the horses are not going to get tight with the front end until they can jump bigger but they can't jump bigger until they get more education but you also, nobody wants to see the horse jumping around at 110, dumping the shoulder, which for me, that's why I'm saying story in my life, because that I'm trying to sell them. You know, I ride for a dealer, I have my own horses that I'm trying to sell and everyone's like, oh, but the front end, like I know, but like, it's going to get better. Like if it has a good hind end, the front end, you know, you have to look the way the shoulder is. If it does pull the knees up sometimes here or there, you know, like anatomically it can do it. The front end will come, but then you have to do the right exercises. So for me, you know me, I'm always going on about the trot jumps. Those are great because you can put the trot poles. You can even make the trot distance into the first obstacle or just a single obstacle, whatever. If you want to trot a vertical, um, you can make it a little longer than you would normally make. So they have to stretch a little bit and the front end will start to come up. Um, the, you can trot jumps. I trot them pretty high. You know, you can trot right up to meter 15, meter 20, um, and they don't have to go fast. Sometimes you can also put that placing rail on the backside, say a nine foot placing rail. So they have something to look at. Um, but sometimes you'll see that that will not help at all. That might even make it a little worse when they look down. So then a cantering exercise, which is really great is to do the wide oxers. So you can do two oxers say you could make either a two stride or you could do a line and have a placing rail on the way in and a placing rail on the way out. But the idea is that your oxers continue to get wider. Um, you can even just do a single jump. If you don't want to mess with the whole line, you can just do a canter pull, placing rail. You've got your nine foot. So that's going to, you can maybe roll it out to 10 if your horse is, is very young or green because they're not always collecting so well. Um, and then you can, you can do square is fine, even though they're green and you just keep making that wider and wider, that'll make the front end come up and stretch. And then from there, you really just need to get in the bounces. The bounces are just game changers. You can do placing rail. I don't have a lot of jumps, so I'm like the most creative person in America with my jumps. Like you think I would have a lot, but like I don't. Um, so you have to, you've got to make it count, but I'll do like two placing rails, nine foot, and then another nine feet to a Cavaletti, another nine or 10 feet to a jump, like a vertical, you know, you can start at a cross rail and eventually you can work it up to you know meter, maybe a meter, meter 10. 
and then another nine, 10 feet to a Cavaletti and then a rail. So they have to do a grid, but the bounces are so good. Honestly, for some of those guys, I'm huge into the free jumping. I don't have a free jumping shoot, but I'll put them just in the halter on the lunge and build a bounce grid and make them trot through and canter through. And just when you get out of the mouth and get off the back a little bit, they start finding their own center of gravity. If the horse is naturally careful enough, it will. But those are hard. That's a hard type. You've got to make the exercise challenging, but not too big because they're not ready if they're young and green. Well, that leads us right. Jamie had a question, so that leads us right into her question. What's what are good exercises to make a horse more careful? Yeah, that is a hard one because careful is they're born with careful. Um, if you are on the line and you need to help, does it? Could, you know, it really comes down to how much self preservation they have, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I mean, if they don't care, they don't. Care. Yeah, we had an Appaloosa that really didn't care, and those are the ones that hurt you too because they they yep. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> don't care but you know you can teach them okay maybe they're not going to be the most careful horse in the world but you can teach them to to be a little more thoughtful by putting them in situations that are challenging and they do have a consequence for having the rail so two things one with my uncareful horses it's safe um i just on all of them really i like to uh jump square rails those you can buy them at home depot rather than the steamrolled ones you know Yep, and yep. So then they hit the, the pressure corner. treated uh, basically four by fours. Yeah, yeah, four by fours, and you can paint them up nice, and they're just heavier, and it's just a little bit more, you know, feeling. And it, and it, with a square point there, they might feel a little more when they hit it. Um, but then from there, it's really the gymnastics, and honestly, it's a lot of what we were just discussing with the horse and the, the poor front end we're trying to pick up it's kind of the same thing. So this horse may have a real sharp front end uh, or whatever the technique is, any of them, but you put them in a situation where they've got to stretch and then cut, you know, stretch out and then collect inside the exercise. So like the bounces are so good when you have quite a few in a row, um, the nine foot placing rail pushes that horse up to the base of the jump. So if it doesn't do it just right, the horse is going to have the rail down. Uh, and basically you just, that's what I do with my ones that aren't too careful. I build grids like that trotting three trot poles, nine foot to a cross rail, you know, 21 feet to a vertical, you know, go, go to, to a back to a bounce something. You can just make any sequence. Honestly, it's just about picking the feet up and putting them down, stretching, coming back. And basically, you know, if you put more jumps there, they're going to start punching them out if they don't pay attention. So you basically, on my uncareful horses, my school before the horse show, I like to have like 15 rails, <laughs> you know, you're just like, all right, we didn't do it right. And it's not big. You just keep going and they have it down and they figure it out. And then when you get to the show and it's easier, or you're doing just normal coursework and they have, they're able to get out of the way they do. I mean, if they don't care, they don't care, but I, I find that you can pressure them into being a little bit more careful that way. And then also your ride, you need to know how your horse is uncareful. I have one horse that wants to be very careful, but he just can't help it at the verticals. He's just not very good at it yet. He's like the first horse. He overpowers the front end and pushes too hard. And then he'll have it almost with his knees sometimes with the horses jumping up like meter 40. Um, so that horse, I know I have to leave a gap at the vertical. He just, he can't handle it unless I, and you've got to be accurate, accurate. So if your eye is not accurate like that, then you can do the same. You can manufacture it a little bit with placing rails to kind of train yourself to see whatever the distance is and train the horse to get out of that. 
And then the opposite is true. You can also pressure them with a tighter ground rail, like the nine foot and come galloping in. So you, you don't really help them, but I don't, in the gymnastics, I don't like to help them at all at home. Um, I just come in and you're just, and that's why I like the free jumping too. You just, they need to figure it out and be partners, but the, 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 the pressure to the jump, forcing them to kind of, kind of dare them to have the rail sometimes works. Um, and then also being thoughtful about where your horse needs to leave the ground from. And that sort of ties in <clears throat> with, uh, with this next, I think you might have answered it. Uh, how to get a horse to respect smaller fences. I have a thoroughbred gelding that loves jumping, but doesn't seem to respect the smaller fences. He's not ready for the harder courses that come along with higher fences, but he just won't pick up his feet for anything under 2.9 if they aren't solid. Um, I think probably... I'm just reading her uh, question here. So we're not ready for the harder courses. Uh, I mean, honestly, the in or either the horse needs to do more gymnastics to get comfortable um, paying paying attention to the jumps. That you, you don't have to be very big, but you can do the rails. Um, the other thing is that. If he's not really respecting the smaller fences, he probably is big, ready for the bigger fences. So there needs to be a way to get the rideability so that he can do the bigger fences. So I would jump your freestanding fences at whatever he's comfortable with. Uh, you know, he's not really picking his feet up, but you can put placing rails there, nine feet placing rails, even the trot. You know, you can make them trot uh, through the smaller ones. But then when you start doing your technical courses, if he's not ready, if it's a rideability issue, that's where the placing rails come in again. For example, you can do a nine foot placing rail to a vertical up at, you know, three foot or something. And then you can do a bending line or a straight line, whatever you want to do to your next obstacle, just being a pole on the ground, no jump, and then walk off of footage to another obstacle with a placing rail that's much bigger. So you can then put your nine foot placing rail again, and then maybe you make like a three foot six jump, but like he, there's no interpretation as to like what the strides are in between the jumps. And then you can start doing more technical things with larger jumps, but you're basically as the rider riding to the poles that you've set. And then, oops, there's a jump behind it. So there's no confusion as to when we're leaving the ground or are we running or are we trotting or, you know, all the fabulous ideas that they come up with when they're getting started. All right, we'll switch. We'll do one more, and then we'll let Emily get back to bed. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Elizabeth sent this one in, uh, and wait, this is a rider question. What's the best way to develop your eye for a distance? Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. That, honestly, okay, breaking it down for your coursework, uh, whether you're jumping a single jump or you're going and jumping around, you know, the World Cup finals, whatever it is that you're doing, the the – the math for courses is on a 12 foot canner. So your job is to hold a 12 foot canner around the whole course, not in the corners because you're turning and naturally you'll hold a shorter canner in a corner, but your straightaway canner going to obstacle canner is 12 feet. So every horse feels a bit different, but there is a 12 foot stride to get. So you get comfortable first with what a 12 foot stride is. Um, I like, again, using those bounces because you can find that rhythm 
if you canter in on the proper rhythm, the horse will jump through the bounces and leave on the, on the same rhythm. Um, but as far so you first, first you've got that, that rhythm consistent, you know, what 12 feet feels like then from there, when you're going around the course, you want to pick the least dramatic decision, whatever it is, as you're cantering to the jump, if you're four strides away, you're just thinking how many 12 foot canter strides can I get? to the, until I get to that jump, making the least dramatic decision. You can also put rails out there so you can walk off, say a four stride line and then put a rail with the jump being on the other end of your line. So you canter on your 12 foot canter, hop over the pole and then feel what four 12 foot canter strides feel like in a, a controlled, uh, exercise. Um, and then you can play around with the rails as well. But I, for the, 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 your eye getting sharp like that, it really just comes down to rhythm and it comes down to not changing your rhythm. People's eye jump around because their rhythm jumps around and then their horse's eye stops working. You know, you've got your horse in the equation too. So if you're going from an eight foot to a 10 foot to a 12 foot to a 14 foot back to a 12 foot, oh, you don't see it. Now you're pulling and now you're kicking and then now you're back on a 13 foot like the who knows what distance you're going to get. It's got to be consistent rhythm. And then your horse's eye settles, your eye settles. Oddly, this is somebody told me this ages ago, and it's I found it to be true. It's so true. A lot of times when you don't see the distance, when you don't have that there it is moment, you're on it. People feel that they don't see it, and then they start making some adjustments. And as soon as you start messing around with the rhythm and the footage, your eye goes, the horse's eye goes. Like imagine if you're trying to you know walk up the steps, and before you take the first step, you like are shuffling your feet around and changing big step, little step, like you're not, your timing's going to be off, but that's, that's mainly the biggest thing. And don't, when you, when you don't see it, don't panic, don't change anything. That's the kiss of death. Stay the same over little jumps, you know, practice over little jumps, uh, so that you don't get the nerves first. But once you get the hang of it, it's, uh, it, they do, they just, they just come up, they come to you. You don't, everyone thinks you have to look for them. Don't look for them. Like let them come. Like they come to you, hold your canter rhythm. It's not about the distance. The distance is like a symptom of a good canter rhythm. Very good. Well, uh, we're going to let Emily go here. Thank you so much for joining us, Emily, and being back. I'm it's so, so good. glad to be back. I know. Yeah. I, I got to be honest. I did think, I don't know if I can do it <laughs> today again, but I'm so glad that we did it. We're back in action. I miss you guys. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll try and keep her out of the saddle so she can join us from now on. I know. Uh, <laughs> I was bad. It was so worth it though. My horse, I got all videos of all the horses jumping. They were so good. I was like, ah, whatever. It's Monday. I'm going to be <laughs> trauma patient on Monday, but then they jumped good over the weekend. Well, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're feeling a little bit better. And uh, everybody, we'll be back tomorrow with uh, Jamie. Will be here, and then of course it is the draft horse episode on Thursday, which, by the way, has been the most popular episode the last three months. Really? So, yeah. That's awesome. So a lot of the draft horse people stopping by to check out uh, our coverage of of draft horses in the United States. They don't That's jump awesome. so much. Not, not, no. no, yeah. Well, they no. do, just not very high. Uh, no. Yeah, careful is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're more like the lumberjacks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're fun. The they're fun. Anybody that's ever been around a draft horse loves them. Well, thank yeah, you, Emily, a- and we'll talk to you all. Remember, S Equestrian, what's the website again? SEquestrianco.com. Check it out. See you all here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. at Horses in the Morning. Later, guys. <laughs>